0: People who have been diagnosed with mesothelioma have many questions. How did I get this disease? What are my treatment options? How will this affect my loved ones? You need answers, which is why we offer a free book written by medical professionals who have treated mesothelioma. Call toll-free at 1-800-600-4243 or go to mesobook.com. You know, I've thought about being like, I am going to buy some land right on the San Andreas Fault on the eastern side of it so that if and when California splits off from the continent, I'll have oceanfront property. (laughs) 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 I kind of like that. idea. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to a new season. Of that's tough. Joining you today from the Potato State is your host Ben, joined by new host Aubrey.
1: <laughs> is that that was we're going with Aubrey? Yeah, that seems like a really feminine
0: name don't come at me with that shit okay for those of you who don't know there is a movie starring Russell Crowe called Master and Commander and in his or in this film he plays a captain of a ship called the HMS Surprise he's a badass motherfucker and his name is Aubrey so his, his name's concept- Aubrey? yes what? yeah fact check me if you don't believe me oh and you know what yeah fuck it Aubrey's great that's what I'm saying. I don't think there's anything better. In fact, I've gone my whole life defending that it's not a, not a girly name. But I, I figured I'd throw it up. No, and I, I don't think anyone here is going to question your manhood based on your name. And uh, you know what? If your manhood feels threatened by that name, then I'd argue it's not manhood. Fair enough. Fair enough. All right. So, long story short, Alvin. Has found himself uh, still out in Los Angeles. I'm doing a little hiatus out here in Idaho at a nameless location. We're currently in a fallout shelter underneath a farmhouse in an undisclosed small Idaho town. And um, considering I'll be here for a couple months, you know, I figured we should get the podcast rolling again and. Uh, you know push came to shove aubrey joined on and uh so unfortunately for the time being uh we will be alvinless which means i would venture to guess this podcast's uh broad appeal will go down to net zero right i've never never podcasted
1: with alvin so i have no idea what he brings to the table can't say i can fill his shoes
0: cuz no one fills his shoes <laughs> <laughs> it's impossible um but yeah, hopefully, uh hopefully some of the California crew is out here listening to this. And uh, you know what? Uh this is just a continuation of uh a long and illustrious uh program that we've been doing here. So did you just think I brought this beer in for you? Yeah, I did. I actually thought you brought that beer in for me. I'm not gonna lie. But it's okay. I'm a little disappointed.
1: <laughs> I know, I just I had that beer from earlier, hot tubbing, and uh I just wanted another one, so I I brought it in, too. I did not bring two beers, one for each
0: of us. Yeah, okay, well. So, you know what? Yeah. Fuck you. (laughs) Go (laughs) clean your mouth out and get me a fucking beer. I am not going to leave and get you a beer right now. All right. I'm going to crawl under the table and get a beer. I'll be right back. Uh, While I do that, you should introduce yourself. Uh, tell us a little bit about yourself and then when I get back, tell me again. Uh, why don't we just wait? We're, we're just gonna cut. We're gonna cut this. No, one we're not until cutting. we Okay. This is a raw We're just gonna to leave them face. with some dead air. Raw and Raw. <laughs> Fair enough. <laughs> alright.
1: Okay. Right. So you
0: know okay. what? We're gonna we st- we're gonna start with okay. some
1: Alright, alright. Basics. All right. All right. basics.
0: Um, first I think all, I
1: think Bernie took the
0: makers. Yeah, that's fine. He of went down to the did. jackpot. And just, I bet yeah. he took it. Yeah, he went gambling without us. But that's okay. That's kind of more of a him problem than an us problem. Because look what we're doing, right? Nothing but the best. Anyway, so Aubrey, what's that name? Where do you get that? Because that's obviously that feels like something harkening back to an older time. Well, it was
1: the name of my mother's uncle.
0: Hmm.
1: He was a lieutenant colonel in the Marine Corps. He did, I don't know. I actually don't know very much about him. And I also know that he went by Buck. He actually (laughs) didn't even use his name, so. (laughs) And I don't know if that was for the same reason, if he hated just how it sounded feminine or what, but he, he went by Buck, so. But
0: they, you know, that's kind of a big jump there between Buck and Aubrey. Yeah, I don't know how you get a nickname like Buck. Did he see combat? Like, was he a badass? Or
1: I'm pretty sure. I think he was. I think he was like a marine during the Korean War.
0: Oh, nice. He probably did some shit. I'm trying to figure out because, yeah my my levels are good. So he was in the Korean War, you were saying?
1: Yeah, again, I don't know very much about him, but that I, makes sense given how his age and his
0: rank. Fair I enough. I would assume
1: he was at least in during
0: Korea. Bet. So, uh, I mean, honestly, consider this like a, a, a fucking job interview. Okay. Um. Give us your... Um, fides. obviously uh one thing that uh immediately drew me towards adding him to the podcast is that he too suffers from crippling ADHD so
1: yeah i didn't realize how didn't you say like all, all of the
0: other podcasters uh everybody's ADHD right i i don't think you could necessarily make a claim that everyone is but like the ones on our that have been on ours Mm -hmm. at least two of us were always like ADHD. So it kind of followed the format of a stream of consciousness as opposed to something more like formulated, but, um,
1: (laughs) (laughs) right. Well, yes, I do have ADHD. So I think, I don't know. I do relate. I know Bernie, it does, is a very, uh, neuronormative kind of guy. And, uh, As a roommate, it's pretty been pretty interesting just having another ADD person now with your
0: addition. So (laughs) Yeah, no, I our our roommate who we live with here is um he he's gotta be just confused by us a lot and the way we work. And like we'll be playing like a couple nights ago we were playing a game called Codenames and um Aubrey and I would do like ADHD thought jumps where it's like three or four topics removed, but you can kind of track that as someone who is ADHD.
1: Right. Well, what I couldn't believe was listening to you thinking out loud about the different possibilities that it could be. Like when I said farmer trying to connect the last two and you understood the assignment, you were like tomato and post cause farm posts and tomatoes are like, you know, Actually, it wasn't even tomato, it was ketchup, so it was even a bigger stretch. And you were right there, and you, know, you let Bernie steer you right towards um, peaches, which w- is produce, which makes complete sense. But you somehow <laughs> singled out the two that I was going for without it making much sense. And I was like, hmm,
0: okay, yeah, I feel like that was a litmus test, litmus yeah. test, but yeah, also, um, I, I obviously. As part of being ADHD, something you kind of do is try to figure out why you think the way you do and whatnot. And at least it seems that the current psychological opinion, or at least one that's becoming more popular, is that ADHD is not innate, but it's more of a coping mechanism. Um, I don't know if you've heard anything about those postulations, but I do think it's an interesting
1: though i mean the way i always understood it was that if you have adhd there's like a deficiency right and the number either the receptors in your prefrontal cortex or something don't absorb enough dopamine or um you just don't produce enough and so you're always in a deficit which creates the kind of like static brain activity where you're just sitting there and Everything is equally interesting at the same time, even if something should be your sole focus. So, like, if you're driving down the street, you don't just see the light in front of you. It's like you see the color. You're thinking about how many red cars there are. You you know, there's a 100 distractions, and you should just be focusing on the light, but you can't. And that's kind of been my understanding of it was you just need – that's why the use of, like, amphetamines helps because it stimulates more –
0: production that's so interesting because like kind of as you're saying that so i thought it was neurochemical uh is i guess my well and i think it is but i think what i was trying to get at is at least there's people postulating slash doing tests basically saying and sorry the result of those tests has basically been pointing to the idea that um ADHD is a coping mechanism caused by like trauma or something along those lines as a kid. And obviously trauma is such a hot topic. Now it's like everyone throws trauma around at the fucking wall for everything, but Mm, yeah.
1: Would that mean then that you develop a chemical imbalance in your brain? Yes. From a psychological
0: traumatic event? Like, yes, that's at least what they're saying. And I feel like that's the interesting thing is you know, obviously, we grew up too late to explore the earth, too early to explore space, but they're really diving into like uh, exploring the mind because it's still something. I'm sure there's some statistic somewhere that says approximately what our knowledge of the mind is. Right. I feel like we've barely cracked the iceberg. That's interesting. There's kind of
1: three, maybe, final frontiers left it's like the ocean, the Amazon. ADHD brains. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Don't uh, just the brain in general. Right, right. And then uh, obviously there's space, but
0: space, the final frontier. Um
1: oh, here's a question. Yeah. If um if you got offered if if the God King Elon, Elon Musk says, Daddy. Ben, "Ben, there's a spot on the ship." Yeah if you want to go to mars i'll send you yeah but you may not come back like you there's a good chance
0: well it didn't you'll basically there? say that everyone who goes will be stuck there and probably die there
1: yeah well and i imagine you would have to be
0: yeah i mean if you're setting up a civilization
1: honestly <sighs> does the proposition does like does it intrigue you does it excite you at the same time your reservations or are you just like
0: fuck no. Why would I do that? There's running water here. (laughs) No, uh, honestly, it's definitely intriguing to say the least. Um, It's so hard to say because like, obviously you're never going to see anyone you know again. Um, Mm.
1: But you will also be in constant, like in some ways, uh, I don't think it's like a bad comparison when you think about the, Uh, pilgrims or something or just the the people who first came and like settled from the old world and came here it's like a lot of them they bought a one-way ticket it was like we know we're not coming back yeah and we know that there's a good chance a lot of us will die in fact most of them did so Hmm. it's like you know is it the same like we now we look back and we admire those people we're like oh yeah those are the greatest people ever they founded the greatest country in the world
0: yeah No, I mean, one thing that's kind of interesting is I think the reason why they were willing to take that jump is because they considered life in the old world so miserable that their best chance of a good life involved crossing an ocean and setting up shop in a place where survival was not guaranteed, but the upside to them was unlimited potential, obviously. Um,
1: Yeah, and I think if you... If it's like, well, I could either keep working as a coal miner in, you know, fifteen. Wait, what? Yeah, fifteenth century New England. It's like that's not a great life. That's in, pretty, yeah. It's pretty. was pretty miserable. But you are abandoning like civilization. There's not going to be police. You know, it's like you're you're putting yourself at the whims of the other people you're with. So that element is still there if you went to Mars, but it's not the same where it's like, like life's pretty good here. Yeah. Life is going to be significantly not as good going to Mars and it won't be anywhere close within your
0: lifetime. I think for me, one thing I'd want to know is when the next voyage was and how many people were going to be on that. Like, because if, if it was, Hey, go somewhere and be stuck with the same 20 people for the rest of your life, I would not do it. Well, but if it was You can send a ship every two years, right? Well, I mean shit.
1: Because of the different orbits you have to wait. Yeah, some the, I think that's
0: the optimal, I
1: believe. It's uh, like the shortest distance between Earth and Mars happens, I don't know, something like something approximating years. every two years. So it's like yeah, there'd probably be you know. The I'm Nina, sure the, the first, pizza are gonna come after you, but
0: Yeah, I'm not sure I'd want to be on the first crew, but if it was like They've already got some semblance of normalcy set up for you because honestly, the allure of space travel to Mars for me would be, I would want to make the first film directed and shot and edited in space. The first Martian (laughs) film. Yeah. Like the, that would be sick because then for the rest of history, you're the first dude who shot a dramatic film in space it could be absolute horseshit but you're always going to be the guy because like that's the thing is so many of the fields we're in now it's like you can't really be groundbreaking anymore you can't do something new because it's already been done
1: right it's hard to be a pioneer
0: yeah fulfilling that call to adventure is not simple and yeah and and beyond that it's like if it was set up in a similar way where it's like I could stake my family name on some land and own the first like Martian 40,000 acres of ranch. And like somehow like if we keep that in generations like going to California is the first settlers or some shit where it's like I own all of the land in Newport Beach. Like right. It, well, and that would raise
1: an interesting conversation who could own Would property ownership be the model that we carry into Mars.
0: Yeah, no. Considering
1: you're using, you know, equipment, everything is funded uh, by, other by SpaceX. People. And it's probably subsidized by the U.S. government and stuff. And it's like, does anybody make claims on the land in space or is it the common inheritance of mankind? That's because that's what's been said about Antarctica and the moon. I'm pretty sure. Well, so
0: I heard a couple days ago, actually, I was reading this story about this guy who found like a loophole in the space treaties where basically it said that no country could own land in space
1: right but but individuals
0: can so what he did and he's a multi-millionaire now but basically what he did is he basically wrote the deed to himself for every acre of space land there is so like and he sells people deeds for certain amounts of land on planets. And obviously, like none of those people are gonna end up on those planets and have nothing to do with that land. But technically he's used this loophole to make millions of dollars selling land. And
1: right. I mean it's kind of similar to like the you can be a lord and a lady in Scotland if you buy one square foot of land. <laughs> yeah. You know, all that stuff. And So, they sell some, like, godforsaken part of the country that's available because it's uninhabited. And I've always thought it's interesting, like, all of those claims are, like, great, but they're not enforceable. Yeah. you could technically lay claim to a piece of Antarctica, say you started your own country. But until, like, a country has international recognition, it's not really a country.
0: Yeah. Well, and that's kind of one of those, like, sovereign nation things. Right, like... Chaz chop in seattle is that a country because those guys said so
1: yeah. No. know well at least that's not what we recognized
0: well and also for a long time it was like a debate or not a debate but it was like a hot button topic if you will because <sighs> when the taliban retook afghanistan there were all these people who were not recognizing them as the legitimate government mm-hmm. so yeah
1: I, and i think there's there's been like outcast governments there was Famously, some group that they sought refugee status in, like, Canada. And it was like, this is the real government of some country. I can't remember. Uh, Like, imagine, like, South Vietnam, right? Yeah. Like, let's say we're harboring the president of South Vietnam. Well, the country is effectively doesn't exist. And everybody internationally recognizes Ho Chi Minh's dominance over, like, the entire land of Vietnam now. So it's just like... Well, that's the real country. Whatever these guys say doesn't matter. Hmm. So going back to Mars, it's like... Or even that guy, right, with the deed to all outer space land. It's like, it's not real because nobody recognizes it as real. Except
0: the people who are paying. Yeah. Well, and I feel like it's kind of more of a gimmick. Like, I don't think any of these people think their investment is actually going to pan out or even view it as an investment. But I don't know. It's just like... One thing that, like, kind of pisses me off about being in our generation is that, like, everything's been bought and sold already. You know what I mean? Like, oh, I yeah. think about all my friends whose parents moved to California or grandparents moved to California and bought their land on the beach for, like, 20 bucks an acre or some shit. Mm-hmm. It's like, that ship is sailed. Like, what am I going to do? Go prospecting and hope I find some good land somewhere out in the middle of nowhere? And then one thing, like... <laughs> ADHD incoming, Um, you know, I've thought about being like, I am going to buy some land right on the San Andreas Fault on the eastern side of it so that if and when California splits off from the continent, I'll have ocean front property. (laughs) (laughs) I kind of like that idea. You know what I mean? It's going to happen eventually. Yeah, it might be like 10,000 years, but I'm going to like, put it in a trust or something where my family owns it, but they can't sell it or some shit. (laughs) Yeah.
1: I mean, you could, I I really think like that's some forward thinking, but
0: yeah. But like how like, that's the kind of unfortunate part is it's like, even with crypto and shit, it's also speculative. Now it's not like hard assets, like land in California, which you could have got like the people who like first settled in San Francisco or even like, 50 years ago buying land in california was cheap right because oh, there yeah. was so much of it but now it's like the most expensive real estate in the world and like
1: yeah i always think about that like those guys who built california they like david huntingtons and i think that's his name but um the guys who like brought electricity built the first dams like they transformed the san joaquin valley and those areas into something that created you know The greatest farmland in the world and it's like to be that person who like crossed over that mountain and just was like you know what one day i envision 50 million people are gonna live here (laughs) and i'm gonna lay out the plan for it yeah and then all that shit came true and it's like there is no I, i think this is a actual like a real problem in american life now for young men and and probably young women too but i think especially for men like there's this call to adventure i think we all feel But there's no place to fulfill it. Yeah. So you're left with like, okay, I'm going to turn to video games and I can be a hero in this world, but not in the world I live in. Like, yeah, I step away and ultimately everything has been done. Uh, You know, I have free, easy access to everything. Yeah. All the comforts of life, the stuff of life is already provided for you. Supposing you can make like just a moderate amount of income. But it's not difficult. In fact, like most jobs now, we're converting away from like hard manufacturing and things that are labor intensive. So like you feed your family, but you sit on your ass, right? And you stare at a screen. And it's it's not the same as like that pioneer guy who had to go out and like kill the meat that his family ate that night or the farmer who had to plow the fields every day you know, those things are earned and they feel like it's a symbiotic relationship of like mind and body has, is fulfilled. But I think now we're just kind of left with this, like, well, here I am. And like, everything comes pretty easy. And I think it makes a lot of like, just,
0: um, I don't know, a lot of disgruntled men. Yeah. Well, and I think something that exacerbates that is, um, like social media and shit. And it's the same way for females, obviously, because they're constantly comparing themselves. But I think on a subconscious level, every single person you see on Instagram is running like some MM uh LM or MLM multi-level marketing or Oh yeah. You know what I mean? Like there's so many people are like showing off their like um drop shipping and all this shit. And so it's like you see so many avenues of people making money or quote unquote, at least looking like they've made something of their life. And so, you know, it's just, and well, and also obviously like movies and shit. Like, I don't know a single dude who wouldn't want to be like uh Jordan Belfort or something, you know, make money, fast cars. Right. Isn't it? Well, I think what's funny is that the first half of the
1: Wolf of wall street is actually like a really attractive, you envy Jordan, even though you can tell what he's doing is morally dubious. Yeah. You're still, you are like kind of, I don't know. Uh, like I have always been sort of inspired watching his journey and his transformation from being a broke guy, studying for a series seven, waiting to get his first job on wall street. And then within just a few years, He's commanding millions of dollars. He's built this large company. Yeah. He's gotten all of his friends rich and they all love him. And it's like, yes, you like at the end of the day, you're not supposed to root for him.
0: But in your mind, you're kind of like, God, if I was in his shoes, I would love that. Well, and also that's what the last frame of the movie, you know, when he's doing all his um, inspirational speaking seminars mm-hmm. is at the end the lat it goes over his shoulder and pans to the crowd, and essentially everyone in it is looking at him like it's the word of God. Yeah. And it's like showing how like even still... after everything, it's like everyone knows, like when the uh Forbes article came out and he was just lambasted as like uh twisted Robin Hood and all those interns showed up the next day to try to get a job there, it's like I think it's a satire of American society as a whole, but you know, love money and all that. It's like, you know, what's going down, but you still want a piece of it. Mm -hmm. So I don't know. Going back to Mars. Oh yeah. (laughs) So yeah, the the original question is, would you, would you go? And that's the thing. And you said, I guess you did say with a couple caveats. I think I'd consider it. Okay. Just because it's like, what is there left well, here?
1: Here's my argument for why you should go on the first ship. Those people are going to have their names in history. I don't think the second ship will.
0: But I could have my name in film history.
1: Yeah, but it's kind of like, it's it sounds gimmicky. It's kind of like right now, they always have the, oh, this is the first Indian, you know, some kind of intersexual something like, this is intersectional the first, yeah yeah where it's like oh this this was the first indian gay ping no, pong I, player I, to I know what you go mean. international and but, you're like ah like
0: you know that's not that interesting but by the same coin it's like everyone knows who lance Armstrong or uh not buzz aldrin who was the first guy on the moon Neil Armstrong. Neil Armstrong. I don't know why I just freaking... He's not the biker who did doping. Um, (laughs) Yeah. Everyone knows him. Some people know Buzz Aldrin. No one knows the other guys who were on the moon with them. Michael Collins. Well, you do, but you're a nerd. Okay. But you know what I mean? It's like if you're looking for broad appeal, unless you're the first person to step foot on Mars... But here's
1: the thing. Nobody knows who the Apollo 13 astronauts are, right? Nobody knows who any of the, like subsequent mission people are some people will know who phil or michael
0: collins is yeah but i mean that's why like i guess it kind of depends because i would like what be, what if you were i'd be you go, to you go film, and you get you a sh- chick
1: pregnant and you create the first martian baby cool. easy
0: yeah easy not right true Dude, that's a slam dunk. You just wake up on the ship. But I feel like the kid would be more famous than me. But I, I think basically what I'm saying is in the world of film, the name would be immortalized. Mm, I disagree. I don't think people first, would care that much. First, no, I don't. I'm not making broad appeal here. I want to be talked about in film schools. I I don't know that they'll care. Dude, literally, we watched films in film school, and everyone watches films in film school, where it's like, (laughs) this is the first. No, but I'm saying (laughs) that was me describing this is the descriptor, right? Like, we'd watch a film, and they'd be like, it was pretty mid, right? You know, from a story standpoint, this is the first time a dolly push was used in a film. Or like Citizen Kane, this is the first time they use coverage to this extent. It used to be a static camera, but look how they have camera moves now. Yeah. Well, well I mean, that is interesting. But,
1: but at that's the what I'm same saying, time, it's like, I don't know that like, oh, he's the first guy to direct the film on Mars. You don't think that would be hype as fuck? Using every old technique that already is used, though. Yes. It's not groundbreaking. It's not groundbreaking. It is groundbreaking. You're breaking ground on another
0: planet. I don't know that it is groundbreaking. Like, you could say the Mars rover made the first Martian film. Yeah, but first human, then. We're really getting into the weeds here. I see what you mean, though.
1: Well, obviously, but people are going to be recording. It's like, somebody's going to be filming. Like, you're, everybody back home is going to be able to watch plenty of footage of people doing shit on Mars. The first video of the first people on Mars, that'll no, be groundbreaking.
0: Actually, you know what? I'm going to amend my previous statement. I would like to sign on as the documentarian for the whole process. Okay. there. For I shit. agree with this.
1: If you were just the random <laughs> guy who's into film that decided to jump on the ship, but isn't contributing like to the mission as far as production and stuff, you're just like, oh, by the way, I brought a Elon. little
0: camcorder. No, I'm going to pitch it to Elon. I'm going to be like, I'll make the documentary. I'll go. Yo, dog. I'm
1: 23. I ain't got nothing to live for. I got the film experience.
0: (laughs) Send me. Oh, man. Yeah, no, I mean, that's such a tough question because, like, I mean, could be the end of a long lineage. You know what I mean? (laughs) Right. It's like all my ancestors for eternity led up to me dying on some godforsaken rock floating in space. Like, that's tough. Hmm.
1: I feel like you could plant your seed before you left. You know how many people would be like, dude, I'm going gonna to bang the fir- one of the first guys who ever made it to Mars. Maybe I should make the first space porn. That would be groundbreaking. POV, zero gravity.
0: <laughs> dude, do you think anybody ever fucked on the ISS? I've got to think so. But Also, there was literally a GoFundMe a couple of years ago for... I don't know. Like I didn't look into this in depth. So I'm kind of talking out of my ass right now, but there was at one point a GoFundMe or something along those lines. It might've been Indiegogo or something, but they were trying to crowdfund and get permission to film the first zero gravity porn on the ISS. So they had like a milf signed up for, uh, the busty space going broad and, uh, they were seeking funding, and obviously, like, the ISS is an international space station. Damn. It's it's a collaboration. <laughs> yes, it is. It's a collaboration <laughs> of, like, 15 countries for scientific research exclusively, so, like, it, that would be a tough sell.
1: Yeah. Uh, I can't imagine it'll be very long before we get the first space porno. Yeah, well, and also, I've heard... Because commercial or um, space tourism is, like, becoming a thing.
0: Well, it's going to. I also, like, um, I've seen some articles where people are speculating that at some point some huge movie conglomerate is going to build their own space station to film space movies in actual zero gravity, actually in space. Hmm. That's exciting. Yeah, well i'm looking forward to this first uh space casino it is funny what we
1: imagine taking to space yeah like the first things that came to mind just in this conversation were sex in space gotta (laughs) happen gotta see it and then casinos in space uh, the first beer bong in space. I don't know. Like, just <laughs> the most silly shit that, like it would have to be like a pressurized beer bong. Yeah. Cause well, it's like space has been such a sterile environment. It's like, it's so, so boring. What people do in space, typically I think boring. I'm sure like Neil and Buzz or the guys who went later, like they were hitting golf balls, like on the moon, you know, yeah, like just kind of the golf, screwing around the moon. Like, that's the shit I want to know. Like, what what all can you do when you're, you know, 50 times lighter than you normally are? Shit like that.
0: Mars is slightly smaller than Earth, isn't it? Mm, yes. Yeah. So the gravity is less. Yeah. So it would be like 80% gravity
1: or something. Yeah. That was, I think I watched Neil deGrasse Tyson. He was saying that when he was reviewing the Martian or or one of the astronauts was doing like a judging or rating scenes from movies
0: yeah like those business
1: insider expert reviews type shit yeah and he was like i mean matt damon does a pretty good job like this is true like you would have to innovate you'd have to find some kind of food source potatoes is great all the stuff but um and you could use your poop as fertilizer but he should be bouncing around (laughs) he should be he should be kind of you know jumping looking like one of those guys bouncing around on the moon because yeah the gravity is lighter
0: yeah, I mean, that's that's obviously, like, part of the equation, I suppose, is, like, <laughs> you know, what's it going to do to your body? What does it do to your life expectancy? Like, I wouldn't be surprised if on a certain level, if you could survive on Mars, like, maybe your life expectancy would be longer due to having less wear and tear on your skeleton. Yeah, but, but I wonder... If but this then there's, like, like, cosmic space rays and shit.
1: Right, or, like... You might be fucking up your organs. I think yeah, you're, they like gravity. I
0: assume. <laughs> yeah, well, and that's another thing is I think, uh, our, I think our GI tract is um, gravity-fed. So I don't know. I always heard you can, you could eat upside down. Yeah, what I'm saying more so for like processing through like the small intestine and the large intestine. Well, anybody taking a shit doing a handstand? <laughs>
1: oh god oh god um, that'd be an interesting study have a guy suspend it upside down eat and see how long it takes if he can shit the meal that he actually ate like have him chew a piece of gum so you can find it so you know that that meal is actually made it all the way through
0: yeah interesting but also like it's <laughs> <Is> it <laughs> I don't know. I'm kind of brushing past that. Yeah, we can move on. Um, but uh like back in the day like in the colonial era, sleep tight, don't let the bed bugs bite. Like they used to have their beds slanted downwards because they I think they assumed that um Your gastrointestinal tract and all that and everything else was gravity fed, and thus they didn't want it to like put everything on pause. When was this? In the colonial era, I believe, because when I went and toured Williamsburg, they all the beds were at like a slant towards the feet, so you'd sleep on the high end. Hmm. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, sounds like some crockery to me, and I'm sure the fact that we lay on flat beds now is probably testament to that but i mean weren't people
1: laying on flatbeds before like it's not like we just discovered flatbeds the ground is relatively flat and i feel like most people slept on the floor and you know lived full lives
0: <laughs> yeah yeah i don't know also that's another thing i don't know why we keep prolonging our lives if everyone's worried about overpopulation i'm not worried about overpopulation. Well, I'm not either, but I'm saying it's, like, a huge thing. It's, like, obviously. Yeah, but those people aren't having kids. Yeah, well, that's another interesting thing, is I'm, I'm wondering how the baby boomers dying off is going to affect the housing market. It's not going to be good. Like, as in rates are going to plunge and shit, or...?
1: I don't know, because at the same time, all those baby boomers are going to be handing off... Their wealth to their kids, yeah, right. So I don't know that you'll necessarily see mass vacancies in houses, but you're probably going to see like, like it's probably going to concentrate ownership in like Gen X is what I would guess. Yeah, and there's going to be more people
0: renting and more. I don't know, like the population of the U.S. is still growing. So yeah, well, and we're one of the few countries. I well, other than like africa and third world countries they have very bottom heavy graphs when you look at their yeah
1: most most western countries don't have a replacement rate
0: yeah um they have less than replacement birth rate and that's what i'm saying is like there's a lot of money tied up with the boomers because they were born into the age of opportunity that's why i'm working as a financial consultant (laughs) yeah well but what i'm saying i feel like Once it starts trickling down, I feel like there's going to be so much shit that's left to our generation. And that's what sucks is like I'm I feel like our generation keeps getting told like. Things in the future will be better or like you might be able to own a home in the future when you kind of look at it, it's like our generation is kind of expected to be on a subscription plan for everything. We don't own our music. We don't own our movies. We don't own our houses. We don't own our cars. It's leased. It's rented. It's subscribed. Yeah. Like, I think that's the model for the new world order is the people at the top own everything and all the money just funnels to them. Like, that's why BlackRock and Vanguard and all these huge mutual funds are buying up middle American homes. Mm Mm-hmm. Because they want to, you know, have everyone, quote unquote, subscribing to their housing services. Right. It's just, it's hard because like I look at a lot of people in our generation and they will probably not own anything in their entire lifetime. Yeah, it is.
1: It is interesting because, right, the, the old idea of like, oh, I can just work this job it's a kind of mediocre job, but you know, it pays. It's a manufacturing gig, and that's going to afford me a house and and I can provide for four kids, five kids or something and my wife doesn't have to work. Like that that model is gone. I don't, and you could contribute some of that maybe to women entering the workforce and having the amount of like doubling the amount of labor available so that makes labor cheaper. True. But at the same time, like and doubles the taxable income. <laughs> yeah, that's true. And I think we're just... We are seeing like a, a big shift. Because if you if you ask like... I, I don't know. You wind the clock back just like 80 years. 23, married, one or two kids, owning a home. That was like the model for the middle class. Yeah. And now that's like... I mean, a 23-year-old right now, they definitely don't own a house. Not yeah. usually. Yeah. Unless they're out earning their peers, probably maybe four or five times. And then they're not, they're delaying marriage. So we're getting married way later. And both probably he and the person who be married are working in order to afford the house. And they're planning on only having like one or two kids. Yeah. At the most, if they have kids at all. And yeah. That's, it's just a very different like idea of what adulthood was supposed to look like.
0: Well, and I think there's a statistic that at least in our generation, I think, at least based on current trends, most people won't even be able to realistically move out of their parents' house until they're like 27.
1: Right. And what's interesting about that in particular to me is that if you go to Europe, like multi-generational households is common. Yeah. It's unsurprising that you would see someone in their early twenties also lives with their grandparents and their parents here. It's kind of like the old idea of, Oh, you're 18. Like you're on your own, get out there, kid. Like you're going to go rent, either rent or own your own place. Yeah. Well, that does seem like it's not really realistic for us
0: anymore. No, it's definitely not. And I think that was definitely the exception to the norm. Because if you look at most of human history, Perfect example. Uh, Jewish households when he wanted to get married before getting married used to build an addition to the family home with the father of the girl or sorry Yeah, with the father of the girl whose home you were moving into or some shit like that. Mm-hmm. Can't remember if it was the father's side of the uh, so you didn't you didn't go join your wife and build your own house. No, you just made an addition to the old house. Right. And then you all live together. And honestly, like that would be ideal for me. I'd love to just build like a family compound, but there's not enough land for that. So <laughs> you couldn't get it past the HOA either. Yeah.
1: Good luck with that. <laughs> <laughs> it is it is weird. I think we're gonna probably see people moving into multi-generation houses becoming more common. That's that would be my guess is that in the next 20 years the the idea that you're just going to be 18, move out, be married in your early 20s and have your own place
0: that's that seems quite far fetched, I don't know. Yeah. Well, I don't know. It kind of it reminds me of um like Italian and Irish immigrants moving into New York in the early 1900s, how they just crammed like 50 people into like these tiny little flats. Yeah. I feel like that's making a resurgence because I, I don't know many or any friends who are not currently living in a house with like six other guys.
1: Right. Yeah. I I don't really
0: know of anyone my age who doesn't have roommates. Yeah. And In L.A., we had five total people living in a two-bedroom apartment. Yeah. And that was like a crazy exception to the rule. So, I don't know. It's just weird times, man. Weird times. Yeah, I think we... So much
1: of the expectations that young people feel is the same ones that were put on their parents who in most cases grew up in like the seventies and eighties. And then if you wind up even back further, it's like you got the greatest generation, right? You could buy a house for a song and the American economy was expanding at a super rapid rate. Cause we're rebuilding all of Europe. And it's like, then money was eat like making a lot of money when there's, you've got literally the entire world as a customer for everything that the U S builds. It's like, yeah, that model works. Let's blow up the suburbs. Let's, build all these houses let's you know cheap homes and plenty of work and lots of industry and stuff and now, houses yeah now it's like well like okay a young person growing up in the 60s or 70s like they the thing they were rebelling against was the idea that oh i'm gonna have a job work till i'm 60 get a pension retire and i'm also gonna be able to provide for my family that was like the the life that they were rebelling against and being like, fuck that. I don't want to do this. But like the model for us and like 2000, 2000 babies, it's like, Oh, you could grow up and there aren't any factory jobs. There is no real manufacturing near you. So hopefully you find a really good service job. You have to go
0: to college. Otherwise you're never going to escape. Well, and essentially now college degree is equal to graduating high school. Cause everyone goes to college now.
1: Right. We're pushing way more people through, and we're giving them loans that are, like, absurdly high that most people will carry, in some cases, all the way to their death. And it's like, well, now you're, what, you're 25 or something? You have your degree, but you still work at, like, something akin to, like, Starbucks. Yeah. You're saddled with debt. I'm a bartender,
0: and I have a college degree.
1: (laughs) Right. And it's like, well, shit, like, what was I... I was sold a bag of goods is, I think, how a lot of people our age feel, which was, oh, yeah, I'm going to go to school. Don't worry about the debt. Just take out the student loans. It's fine because you're going to make way more when you graduate. And that hasn't been true for a lot of the friends I have who even the ones who did graduate and most of them didn't. Most of them quit
0: about two, three years in. And then... Imagine so now they have having, all the debt and no degree. I was going to say, imagine having all the school loans with that, like, not having any of the upside. <laughs> yeah. Oh, and then and then add to the fact
1: that they're, like, personal interactions are almost all online. It's like, the recipe yeah. to be really unhappy makes a lot of sense. And I get, I get how a lot of folks I run into, especially men,
0: just seem really disillusioned with life. Yeah, like, talking to Marsh the other day was, like, low-key pretty sobering.
1: Yeah. Um, yeah, I, and I've walked budgets... I've done budget workshops with a few people, and just hearing them go, this is what I pay for rent, this is what I pay for gas, this is how much my car is, this is insurance, this is food, this is groceries. And they, they do almost... They rarely eat out. They barely, like, spend time... I don't know. Doing anything fun. Yeah, it's like they don't have ski passes. It's not like they're blowing money on, you know, Versace and Gucci belts. It's like there's nothing clearly flawed in their budget, the way they're spending their money. And yet at the end of the month, they only have at most 50, 60 bucks to set aside. Yeah. And that's after they went to college for a while. They they did the thing they were supposed to. And they have
0: student loans. Yeah, well, and that's the thing is I think the equation has been thrown out the window entirely. Like, there is no equation anymore. What Work for our parents, like, that's one thing I've been talking to my dad about is I'm like, yeah, you went to college in a time where a white male could get into Georgetown. Like, your resume and your GPA would not get you into Georgetown today. Mm-hmm. And your... Like you got out of college, went straight into a banking job where they paid to put you through grad school. Like that's pretty rare. Um yeah. and then you just so happened to be working in finance during the dot com boom. Like shit, I could do I told him I was like, I could do the same job that you did as well as you did, and make less than half of what you did. So like the equation is completely different now. Right.
1: And then, yeah, it's tough. And there's opportunities
0: that are new. There's a lot of ways you can... Yeah, like YouTube and crypto and all this shit, but it's also speculative. Yeah. And, uh, you know, with all the deplatforming going on, it's like you could do all that and do it right and get fucked for no reason. Right.
1: I've heard this, too. It's like you can't have a society of um, painters and poets. It's like... Those are inherently based on popularity. Not everybody is going to just start streaming and then, you know, make a bunch of money like Ludwig or something. Yeah. It's like that's not that's not a repeatable formula. No, not everybody is like not everyone is creative.
0: Not everybody is special. Which, yeah, maybe that's. No, say what you will about Andrew Tate. I don't know how much you know about him, but his whole concept of escaping the matrix like this all does feel a bit like uh a matrix a video game like a big test you know what i mean it's yeah you know and i feel like a lot of that too it's
1: it kind of goes back to like we're so divorced from the concrete things in life we don't know where like our food comes from (laughs) yeah almost nobody has like seen an animal get slaughtered And understands that like the burger you ate at McDonald's came from a cow. Like, yeah, it actually did. (laughs) They don't know how their food like ends up
0: in the supermarket. They just buy it. Yeah. They see something on TikTok telling them to try some new diet and they do it. Mm -hmm. And it's like, you know, no one knows, like, do raisins grow on trees Bushes vines like how do you actually make them it is interesting what sort of knowledge previous generations have considered really important versus our generation Um, or just
1: the stuff that I think you go back like to just the 80s like most people like understood maybe like maybe how to camp yeah how to like make a fire or just like do some of the like real material things that you have to do with your hands.
0: Well, and, it's and like, even like 99.9% of jobs at that time, you could see the products of your work. Yeah, right. And Whereas it's, like, it's so fucking ethereal now. It's like, it's fairy dust. It's not on the elemental charts. It hasn't touched down. It's, it's all decibels, high frequencies. Eee! All this above the shoulders mustard shit.
1: Well, uh, you know what? I actually, one of the, my favorite lines from that is right before when he says, look. We're stockbrokers. We don't make anything. We don't do anything. Yeah. We move money around. Yeah. He's
0: like the name of the game. Move the
1: money from your client's pocket into, into your pocket. pocket.
0: And and if you can make money for both, it's mutually advantageous. And no. Right. And
1: that's what most service jobs are. Like you're, I mean, I guess like what are professional jobs, right? It's like your lawyer, any kind of white collar work. It's like half the time. You are some kind of, like, a middle manager, an HR person. You sit in a desk and you help, like, a corporation move its, like, bureaucracy around. Yeah. It's like, that's not manufacturing. You're, like, you're not actually building something.
0: Yeah, you're literally doing nothing.
1: Yeah. If you work in, like, financial services or,
0: I don't know, there's plenty of other industries, but none are coming to mind. I mean, even tech like even yes, when you're okay. writing code, yeah, there's it's a like perfect technically example. you're creating something, but it's not something physical. Yes, if you have an internet job, like if you're
1: part of any of the, I mean, what are the largest employers in the U.S. right now? Are they not all like tech Apple, companies? and Amazon, finance?
0: Tesla, Google. Yeah. Well, and also I I've I haven't looked too much into this, but what I've heard is that all the huge tech companies are laying people off like in oh, yeah. droves. Oh, yeah, there's been huge layoffs right now. Which is weird because for the last like 10 years or so, tech has been the reliable, you go there, you will make money. Yeah. And you'll have a sustainable and safe job. And NASDAQ's outpaced the Dow and the
1: S&P for uh, like the last 20 years. But who knows, We we might see some, I don't know, constriction in that space.
0: Yeah, I mean, I, I've i got to think, like, who was it who was saying, oh, fuck, I think I'm kind of some, I, I'd i hate to fucking out myself like this. But I saw, like, one of those videos came up on my uh, YouTube shorts, which is so absurd that every company is trying to, like, take a chunk out of TikTok right now. TikTok is such a cancer. It's ruined everything it's touched. But, um. I think it was like an Andrew Tate clip or something like that, where he's talking about Elon going into Twitter. And he's like, of course he's going to cut down because all these tech companies have people who sit around talking about the ramifications of this on the emotions of people and all this shit. And it's like, all these tech companies are so bloated. There's people who sit around all day and think about like inclusion shit on Mm. social media platforms. And like, what does that actually do? Yeah, like the
1: Twitter layoffs that Elon's been doing. It's like, I'm pretty sure he's just trimming the fat. It's not as if those were consequential because the, like, I don't know. I can't imagine there's a lot to, like, keeping Twitter running. Like, could you not keep Twitter afloat with, like, Literally a couple computers and, like, 40 guys, maybe? Like, I've always wondered this. Why would they need a high-rise building? Like, who
0: the hell... Are these people like what are they doing? I get you need as soon as you hire, like more than 10. you need a couple programmers to keep it running and maybe some moderators, but that's it, right? Programmers, moderators, you got to have computer tech, yeah, folk. like it
1: guys, yeah, you, you need that's the it guys to keep need. the servers up. You got an international footprint i guess
0: yeah like maybe you have an office in a couple cities but honestly i don't think you need more than a floor on any single building in whatever continent
1: yeah like i never understood this right because like mark zuckerberg launched his facebook at harvard in the dorms yeah on one computer yeah so at what point does facebook become a giant you know and i know that they own a bunch of other companies and stuff now but like at that time originally like how did it go? How does it go from like a garage band, you know, uh, computer group to like all of
0: a sudden you have hundreds and hundreds of employees in your multinational company? Yeah, it's not like Amazon where you need people running warehouses and logistics and all this shit. Like for any social media network, I feel like you could basically run it with what you were saying, like. 30 to 40 guys who are all programmers with some it guys to make sure everything's running smoothly. And like maybe some guys who are like idea guys who think of new features and like a couple graphic designers who are like making the UI and all that shit. But like beyond that, I mean like you could probably get it done with like a couple hundred people. I guess you have what customer support. Yeah. But I mean, what does that actually translate to? Like, who yeah, gets if verified? A, if you have a
1: few million people, and grandma's complaining because she can't receive. Yeah, her but password. that's all
0: outsourced. That's all outsourced anyway. That's true. Yeah. So like, in house, like you contract for that shit. Like when it comes to customer support, but, I mean. You need guys designing the UI. So that's a couple of graphic designers. And honestly, you could do that with like a team of four or five and that might even be pushing it. Then you have programmers. Then you have idea guys who are talking to the programmers who are coming up with new features, new looks, new UI, whatever. But like, I guess you need accounting. You need accounting, obviously. Um, you probably need some guys who are doing marketing, some guys who are doing sales for advertisement. But those, are like, sales, like, you could easily outsource that to someone who does all your ad sales. So, like, you I just- totally see where you could easily cut a tech company down to basically nothing.
1: Legal. You need legal.
0: Yeah, legal. But that's someone you could just have on retainer. You don't need in-house lawyers technically that streamlines the process and is probably more advantageous from a budget standpoint, but
1: I'm yeah, I'm still confused. Like, okay, maybe, maybe you do have a few hundred, but not thousands,
0: right? No, no, that's what I'm saying. And, And maybe you have like a Europe office and an Asia office and an America's office. And it pretty much covers your bases. You put the office in Turkey, you've got the Middle East parts of Asia, yeah, parts of Africa, and, and, you know, Europe covered. (laughs) I am actually so lost. Why are there so many people? I don't know. I think it basically is just like a glut. It's like a feeding frenzy. It's like, why not have more of these jobs? Why not have someone whose entire job, well, obviously you need HR too, but like whose entire job is to think about like, How we virtue signal inclusion on our platform. And then, obviously, in Twitter's stand, like, or uh, in Twitter's case, they had a bunch of people moderating and censoring people based on who was paying them and all that shit. So,
1: right. Well, and I think I heard this too that the number of administrators, the ratio of administrators to teachers at most American universities has gone from like there were. There were, uh, I don't know, but the ratio is ballooned. So now between like students, you've got, let's say the ratio used to be like, there were three administrators for every teacher or something. Yeah. So that's your, you know, your board of directors, your HR, your finance department, everything like everyone who keeps the lights on and has things running when the teachers and the faculty and the other folks aren't there. It's like, okay, I get that. You need some administrative people. But what I've seen is that it's gone like 4x, I think, is the number. So it takes
0: four times as many people for the same number of students and teachers as it did 50 years ago. What's the ratio of logistics and support to military active combat units? (laughs) What? (laughs) What do you mean? Like, how many people are truck driving and doing logistics and planning for every mm. active combat role? You know what I mean? Like, I've got to think that ratio is probably like 10 to 1. It is
1: it is
0: interesting. There's a, um,
1: like, the, the man behind the man behind the gun. That's, like, what the Ordnance Corps, that's their motto. It's the... The idea that, like, behind everybody who's on the front lines, obviously you have this huge, huge network of people who have to bring all the supplies and material to bear. And it's like, you know, the infantry, the um, aviators, they all can't do their job unless you have probably, yeah, I'd, I'd say it's, I would imagine, like, a 10 to 1 ratio of people who are in non-combat branches and in fact, there are, I think, if you looked at all the branches, there's like 13 that you could branch when I was commissioning. Yeah. And there's four that are combat arms, right? You have field artillery, armor, infantry, aviation. But like cyber, signal corps, yeah. Adjutant general corps, space force. Medical. <laughs> yeah. Well, space force is its own A branch. I know. Branch. But, well, um, Like you have all of those other things and and they already outnumber the people who go into those like three highly coveted combat arms. But it's like, yeah, there are tons of people because think about like, like right now, the Biden administration, they're sending Abrams tanks to Ukraine. Yeah. In my mind, I'm like, well, shit, you don't just like send a tank. You need to send the fuelers and the maintainers. Yeah. And you need all of the parts. And in order to even get them there, you have to load them on the rail. So you need railhead operators. Then you have to load them on the boats. So then you need port to port support systems in order to get them even to like to the continent.
0: So it's like that's a lot of shit. <laughs> yeah. That's required. And then you still need Well, like, and then you still have to run logistics for like ammo. And shit. Because Yeah, you've gotta have a way to get rounds into the tanks and you have to be able to fuel them and constantly. Presumably they're gonna to have to train. So they're gonna to have to send over a whole regiment of people to train them on the mm-hmm. tanks. They're gonna to have to fucking Yeah, because you hop in an Abrams, you're not gonna know how to turn it on. No, I mean that's the funny thing is I think at one point in Iraq, um they took over like a depot that had like thirty Abrams tanks and Like, they couldn't do anything with it. Like, literally, the people who do engineering and mechanical repair on Abrams are generally either from MIT or trained by people from MIT. Well, right. This is the thing about, like, Afghanistan. We left
1: a bunch of equipment behind. And originally, people said, oh, well, they're never going to be able to, like, fly Blackhawks. And then they they did. They did. But at the same time, there's still an assumption that maintenance they will break down it'll probably only be a few years before those things can't fly anymore so that's the i mean that's the hope otherwise china is really
0: stealing a lot of our secrets that's i think that's more of the issue is the ip infractions like (laughs) Mm -hmm. military secrets like china rarely creates their own proprietary systems they're almost all stolen from some other country
1: Right, like their new fighters look exactly like
0: the F-35. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, I don't know. I I definitely am glad that they at least took time to try to destroy most of the critical classified systems in shit before they left. But they were given like 10 minutes. I don't know.
1: There's a... Well, my yeah, my... Fr- I don't know if I should say this. Uh (laughs) (laughs) but uh classified. Yeah. Well There's software in military vehicles where it's it's been a question that like my other friends who train like overseas and stuff and do exercises, they've always wondered like wait, if like they capture just one vehicle, don't they kind of know like the exact locations of everyone else and, and all this stuff? And that's without like, you know, somebody who turns on their cell phone accidentally and gives away their location. It's like, there's certain material that it's like, I don't like, we're so advanced and we've made training and we've gotten, the army's gotten dependent on like training with certain pieces of tech. So the question now is like, if we go into a conflict with a peer to peer enemy, are they going to be able to easily
0: exploit all of these advantages that we're used to in like a training scenario? Yeah. Because I mean, essentially we've been fighting guerrilla fighters with 50 year old AK 47s and old RPKs and shit like that for so long. And technicals as opposed to actual like armed complex with you know, people who have the same tech as us. Yeah. The modern, modern battlefields
1: like so confusing and there's a, there's multi domain fighting, and the idea of just like, oh, you've got, um, you don't just have armor, artillery, and um, infantry, it's like you don't just have the three normal elements of land battle in the 40s. It's like now you've got the same elements, but then on top warfare. of that, you've got cyber warfare, you have satellite warfare, so yeah. space is now part of the multi domain, um, cyber. Like we mentioned, it's like everything now is subject to like
0: enemy action. Well, and that's the thing is like, isn't even like North Korea is doing cyber attacks on us every other day.
1: Right. Well, and that's the question is like, do we need to go back to how we did things without any tech? Because that might be the reality we're in. Yeah. Like maybe you should learn how to fire that field artillery gun manually. which uh, granted we do get trained on it like people know how to do that
0: but it's not practice as well or you get lazy it's not going to be the
1: thing you're you're going to be training on every time yeah you're going to rely on the electronic targeting systems and stuff especially like armor and you know all of all of the tech that we have now like a blackhawk if you go inside and it's like there's no analog instruments yeah the new mic models it's all digital displays it's like what happens if I don't know, like an EMP happens, and now you're you're not able
0: to use any... Well, an EMP is basically a nuke. Yeah, like air burst, you know, in space. But that's the thing, is at least what I've heard is even White in a vacuum, and... the effective... Um... <laughs> range or at least in atmosphere i'm not positive about in no atmosphere but i've heard the effective range of a emp is a um exponential fall off so the amount of payload that you'd have to blow up to conceivably disable electronics at a large scale you'd literally need like at that point you're basically just nuking a country (laughs) right but like well,
1: what's to say in a peer-to-peer fight like that's existential? Like let's say China and if we like we go to war with China, they wouldn't launch a detonated nuke that wipes out the Western electronic grids.
0: Like well, and that's the other thing is I don't even think they have to anymore because Biden uh, allowed Chinese companies to invest in our grid, which previously was not allowed. Right? Like
1: what do you, what do you do? Tomorrow you find out like the lights aren't coming on and and all your electronics don't work. I get a gun and I go out in a blaze of glory. (laughs) Like no street lights. Like I heard when New York blacked out, like, oh, there were people getting clapped in the streets, you know? Yeah, it
0: was mayhem. And it's like, imagine that happened. What do you do when every bit of food that you have in your freezer goes bad, you know? And then you have to start robbing stores to try to get food because you don't store dry goods
1: yeah I love how we got here
0: yeah we're on this
1: conversation about global warfare because (laughs) of the question of like school teacher ratio to faculty
0: yeah no that was an ADHD (laughs) jump for sure (laughs) yeah but um what was I gonna say fuck um oh he's grabbing the whiskey yeah I gotta pop into this um if we're gonna keep going. How how far in are we? We are at an hour and thirteen minutes. Okay. We got we got time. Yeah, we got time. Pop it. Um God, what was I what was I saying? Oh, yeah. Do you know how many power substations need to go out in key like in critical ish areas. Just substations. I'm not talking like crazy important. Uh, infrastructure here i'm talking substations in our power grid for it to basically cripple the entire continent yes three higher 10 lower seven higher (laughs) eight it's nine um (laughs) but like how is that not terrifying it's like if so if there was a coordinated attack against nine power substations of which i think there's like 20,000 on the continent.
1: I mean dude, i was okay, i went to the er on new year's and um i'm sitting in this hospital waiting to get treated. I burned my hands, so i was just waiting for triage and i was pretty low priority, i assume, because there were people, i mean there were guys waiting in the lobby who had like major back issues. One guy was in a car accident like just prior and then there was a cardiac event so yeah like those people are gonna get seen first and fair enough but um the power went out like twice while i was at the er on new year's because of drunk drivers who hit like a telephone pole (laughs) yeah it it happened twice and it's like that's a hospital they had to go they were starting to bust out like paper records and stuff and
0: doing everything by hand and it's like (laughs) i definitely think our reliance on tech it like i don't think people understand how precarious that is
1: well i mean this is something i've always wondered right like if you drop i don't know computers everything goes out tomorrow it's like we we know how to operate a computer yeah but i have zero idea how to build one and when people say oh i built a computer they're plugging in parts yeah, they're not like soldering, maybe welding. You know, it's yeah. Like, I
0: mean, you need you're creating microprocessors. You need computers to create modern day computers.
1: Yeah, like the whole eye pencil idea of like everything that goes into a pencil is far more complicated than you think. Yeah, like at one hand, you're like, oh, it's just lead and a piece of wood. No, it's like okay, it's it's highly refined graphite and stuff. Yeah, put inside of a pencil, and then it has a painted on coating and then
0: it's got the little metal piece hundreds plus of the eraser. thousands of dollars of just raw materials not even including like the actual processes that just
1: the number of factories the number yeah. of hundreds of
0: workers that are employed to make a pencil yeah
1: because those raw materials are obviously used for a bunch of other practices but yeah. it's still like to get to finished goods the, the everyday items that we just look around this room and it's like there's so much stuff that like You could not recreate if you were given a hundred years in a field. You're never going to figure it out.
0: No, and that's why, like, I, I understand people's arguments, like, where they're, like, why is Jeff Bezos making so much fucking money? Like, no one needs that money. True, but, you know, his company's worth, what, a trillion bucks, give or take? I don't know. And he's got, like, what, 800 mil? Bill. Bill, sorry. Sure. but that's like accrued over his entire lifetime whereas his company does a trillion dollars worth of business every year. Mm-hmm. So what? His salary is probably like 100 million a year, 30 million a year, 40 million a year, whatever. It doesn't fucking matter. As far as I see it, it's like all the extra money that his company is worth Goes to the people and people are like, why are these people getting rich off the backs of the working class? I'm like, well, the working class is making money based on an investment and idea from a guy who's now making lots and lots of money from their labor. But if you think about value to society, he contributes a trillion dollars to our society every year. Yeah, the
1: value add is.
0: So it kind of yeah. going back to the pencil, it's like, and this is, this yeah, is something can, that somebody said to me
1: that I thought was pretty prescient. And it was like, you're not paid based on the amount of work you do. You're actually paid directly based on
0: the size of the problem you solve. Yeah. No, a hundred percent. And it's like that. And obviously another thing is, is like the same people were vo like, Asking for higher wages are also like don't bother securing the border. It's like if you want to retain higher wages, you have to limit the amount of people coming into this society because you don't give more value than any of the people coming into the country. They can do your job most of the time. Right. Well, what do you what do you so think about So like- minimum wage jobs is what I'm saying is Anyone who comes into the country can almost always do a minimum wage job. What I don't agree with is specialized, uh, specialized, um, labor, um, getting paid next to nothing. Like, if you need a college degree to work at a fucking factory, like, you should be paying, being paid more than someone who pushes a button at McDonald's to steam cook your patty and then puts it on a piece of bread. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like,
1: um, I think there's this interesting thing with medical scribes. I have a friend who does this and they get paid worse than like, like the Dell Taco up the street is paying more than the hospitals are paying these guys to do scribe work. Yeah. Because everybody needs scribe work on their resume when they're applying for their medical boards and they want to go and like be a doctor. However that process goes. It's like, if you want to get placed with a good medical school, you need, Certain stuff on your resume, so a lot of people they want to go and they want to be a scribe. Yeah. So there are probably plenty of people who want to do it and are willing to take the like horrible wages, but the actual like complexity of the job it far exceeds what it is to flip burgers or something at for four sure. So it's like, okay, clearly this is a this is an interesting situation in which not everyone could do that job, and yet they're getting paid way, way less. But there's
0: also so many people who want to do it, and
1: they only need so many scribes.
0: Yeah, yeah. No, I mean, that is interesting. Um, and I think there are certain... So, for instance, when I was in Hollywood doing films, I did a lot of PA work, which you get a day rate of 20, uh, 250 bucks a day. That's the day rate for a production assistant. How many hours would you work? Um so if you're contracted technically PAs are not supposed to work any more than uh 8 hours a day.
1: Yeah, but that doesn't
0: that's yeah, it never happens. But yeah. that like that's what I call the paying your dues like job opportunities, you know what I mean, where it's like there's certain industries where you can and probably will make more money, but you have to pay your dues first. And like that's cool, but also like you know, people got promoted who didn't deserve it half as much as me. You know, that's the fuck thing is like, I wish everything was a meritocracy.
1: Right. But the way the way you can think about it is like, what's coming out of Hollywood right now? It's like garbage. Most, most movies are shit.
0: Yeah, garbage.
1: And that probably
0: comes from... It's because they're trying to appeal to everyone, which means they're appealing to no one.
1: Right. So like, in theory, there should be a market then for... Like anytime there's inefficiency in the market, I assume there's a way for people to take advantage. And granted, film is tough because the amount of expense that's required to create a film can be huge. And you don't know if you're going to see return on it. So it's speculative. There's high risk when you create a film. But like if talent is getting overlooked and people aren't being hired based on merit, then there should be a company that would focus on merit.
0: There are, but that's considered part of the counterculture, I suppose, because I've literally been told by producers before, like, I would hire you again and again and again and again if I could, but you're a white cis male. Like, there's literally nothing there. Like, I have to hit quotas as far as diversity goes, and you work harder than 90% of the people who are on my crew right now. Yeah. Well, but I, I have like, to hire them. My dad because, was told the same thing. Yeah. He, like he took his LSAT and was like, oh,
1: maybe I can get the army to pay for my LSAT. Cause he was a captain and he got his scores back and they weren't bad, but they weren't like incredible. And he had a sergeant who literally just looked at him and said, look, you're not black. You're not a woman. The army's not going to pick you up. And it's like, like I understand the idea of like, you got to give, maybe you give, um, Like marginalized communities, a leg up, to even out the score in ways. Yeah. But if you do it at the expense of merit, especially in industries that are like highly technical stuff, like like your air traffic controllers, your pilots, your surgeons, it's like
0: that's it seems like a dangerous recipe for society. Well, and like as a microcosm of that, even on film sets, it's like we're so inefficient because half the crew is outside smoking weed in the middle of a shot. It's like, whereas like I'm standing in the corner ready with a Mm -hmm. water bottle, a towel, whatever the fuck you need. Like when I was PAing, like, and that's why one time I did work on a set where it was very much meritocracy. And luckily it was like a 40 day shoot for a feature film. So like the first day I was a PA second day, I was the second unit uh, director of photography Because I was working my ass off the first day. And so they were like, we need some extra coverage. Can you run that as our second unit director of photography? I was like, fuck yeah, I'll do that. By the end of the first week, I was the second assistant director. Mm. Like, that's how it, like, obviously, because that ended up being a good result for me. Like, I wish it was that way all the time. Where it's like, I put extra effort in. I'm always there when you need me. I'm always anticipating your needs. I get rewarded. That would right. be nice. Obviously, that's not the way like the real world or uh, real world works.
1: Well, this is something not I'm anymore. Curious, curious about. Like. People go to, like the this is the stereotype, right? It's like you people go to Hollywood. They think they're going to make their they're going to get their big break. Yeah. And maybe they're like a, you know, a nice gal from a Midwestern town. And she's like, I'm, I'm destined for something bigger than this small provincial life. You know, it's like a bell. Yeah. I was going to say beauty and the beast. But, um, so she goes off to Hollywood and then clearly finds out like she was brought there or she was given a job on a set because of just her looks or something. And then, you know, over time, it's like beauty fades and whether or not she was talented, she might have been overlooked constantly by like certain directors or certain productions. And so it seems like there's a huge roll of the dice that just takes place where as much as you can be skilled or talented in Hollywood, especially like any kind of like creative enterprise, there seems to be this level of like, maybe you were just lucky and you were on the right set. Oh, 100%. But I do wonder, like, for the production side, the people, you know, the film crews, the grips, the guys who, like, are behind the scenes. Yeah. Because I can understand that for actors, where it's like, some people may have been the best, but they were overlooked
0: because it's acting, you know? Yeah, I mean, you you could just not have the right look, or one bad take, or one bad day could fuck up your whole thing. That's on acting. Yeah. But, like... But the production side of the house, I always assumed was, like it should attract talent and talent should rise to the top. That's kind of the thing in my experience. Almost everyone at their position resents their position. Like I know 50 year old grips. It's like, why haven't you saved up your money and bought a grip truck and started your own grip company at this point? It's like, "Eh, I'm comfortable here. It pays the rent. Mm. So it's like despondence or fucking, uh, despondent that's a good five cent word uh 10 cent word what's What's the the other one what uh i'm not it's not disgruntled no it's not atrophy it's uh it's when you're indifferent apathy apathy god why did that slip like i had all the synonyms but they're just apathetic it's like or comfortable or you know comfortably um, numb yeah and like I don't know. Really? Like, it it all is luck of the draw. Like, my dad is definitely, like, one of the harder working people I know. And he's very moral, so companies liked him. But, like, he got lucky is what it was. You know? Even in meeting my mom, like, they got lucky. Like, the only reason my parents met is because my mom's boyfriend at the time, her her boyfriend's father had a, uh, like, not mental disease or he had a condition. So basically, I'll just tell the story. Uh, It's probably easier than trying to describe it in round terms. But um, essentially, she went to dinner at her boyfriend's family's house. And she was talking. She's like, I got offers at J.P. Morgan. I got offers at Chase. I got offers at this bank. So the father sits up. This is the boyfriend's father. He sits up and he goes, cancel the other job ops. Like, don't even go to the interviews. Tell them respectfully decline. If you have an offer from JP Morgan, take it right now. So my mom does just that. She comes back to dinner the next week and she tells the father, she's like, hey, I did what you said. I canceled all my uh, job interviews at these other firms, and I decided to go with J.P. Morgan. He's like, why the fuck would you do that? That's the dumbest shit I've ever heard. (laughs) And her boyfriend's mom is like, Herb, you told her to do that. And he's like, I did no such fucking thing. And she goes, you did. And everyone at the table's like, you totally said that. He's like, don't gaslight me. No. Turns out the dude had a condition where he like narcolepsy basically but he'd fall asleep and he was an active sleeper so he'd like fucking just like he'd say while sleeping yeah he'd just be out so boyfriend's dad told my mom to take that job and that's where my dad was working was that jp same exact department same everything Mm. and the only reason they ever knew each other is because that dude was asleep at the fucking dinner table.
1: Right. Like the wild rantings of a old man. And that's, that's what
0: changed. And that's the crazy thing is like, even to exist, there's so many things that needed to happen. So it's like, yes, you're uh, privileged to be alive and yada, yada. But like all of this buildup, For what I'm doing right now, it just feels like a misnomer or an incongruency. You know, it's like all that for this. (laughs) Yeah. Damn. You know what I mean? And then on top of that, it's like they had to have sex at the same, like that exact time. And she had to conceive with that exact sperm out of the millions and millions, exact time, exact day, yada, yada. I wouldn't exist. So like the chances of me existing are astronomically small. Mm. And I'm like, okay, so that means I'm destined for greatness. But what if I'm not? Right.
1: You know, this is something weird. When I was listening to Louie and Bert on their podcast, Louie's like an atheist. He, he doesn't believe in, in life after death. So he just says, well, you just stop being, you know? Yeah. And it's kind of like you had this incredible moment. You, but, you know, zoom out far enough. You're just a blip in time. You're not, like, uh, you're not important. And he's like, there's actually, like, a liberating, there's a sense of freedom in that once you decide, like, oh, I don't I don't really matter. Um, kind of the idea of, like, all of the matter, everything that's existed was here before you were given consciousness. And it'll still be here. And when you die, you're just going to become part of that. You know, you're going to go back to being some of the atoms and cells that make up the rest of humanity and everything else that goes on. So the idea that you're special is like an absurdity to Louis. Yeah. Granted, that's somebody who's achieved incredible fame. Yeah. And he'll have he has you know, Grammy albums and stuff for his comedy and he has things that will outlive him. So in a sense, he's like he has this sense of immortality, maybe that we don't. But as like everyday people, you st- there's still this weird thing of like, you know, he looked across the table at Bert and I empathized with Bert, who just is like, no, I feel like I'm special. Yeah. And one of the things Bert said was, um, you know, he's seen his friends die. He's seen certain people in his life, like they passed away younger
0: than him. And he's like, well, I'm still here. So I'm special. Yeah. No, I think I actually saw pieces of that. He was basically saying, like, all these other people have died. I just think I'm immortal at this point. Right. It's like, I don't, maybe I won't ever die. Yeah. The people around you keep dying. And it's like, well, I'm still here. I well, made it. And that's kind of the thing is, especially, like, in these days, I've had a lot of friends die. And everyone's always, like, wasted potential type <laughs> shit. But, like, I guess it's the shitty thing about, Life is that, you know, some people's entire purpose is to be a lesson to other people, you know, like. (laughs) Well, that's and that is a weird thing because everybody is a main
1: character in their own life. Yeah. Like that. That's a weird realization that like weird guy you ran into one time who said something and you're like in your life, he's just a background character at best. Yeah. But he's got his own story. Yeah. Like. That's a, that's a weird thing. You can spend a lot of time thinking about that.
0: Just like, fuck. Like, every person I drive past on the road. Yeah, has their own life. It's called, I think it's uh, Sonder. It's like the concept that every other person has their own reality and existence outside of your own. There's this rooftop in Brooklyn Heights that I often go to with my friends out in New York. And it. It's in brooklyn heights so it looks out across all of manhattan it's right next to the um the it's right near dumbo so like the manhattan bridge overpass Mm -hmm. that highway all of that there's thousands of cars going past every minute and then all of manhattan in the distance right and new york right such a big city and there's a million windows around you and you realize every window is full of people who all have their own separate existences. And that roof, I think, is very... It clarifies my perspective because it's like, you're such a small piece of this huge puzzle, but you're everything to yourself. Right. Like, when you go to bed, the world doesn't keep
1: turning. Yeah. People, people in the other side of the world aren't waking up and having their own day. Like... You're asleep, so the world doesn't...
0: Yeah. Well, and that's why I think it's interesting. I think it's Buddhism, or is it um, Hinduism? One of those two. Um, Where, like, the presupposition that it's built on is that everything is kind of an illusion. What is it? Um, Achieving nirvana or whatever, where you realize everything is nothing. Mm-hmm. Like, and me and some buddies, like, we'll joke, like, oh, the simulation is acting up today, but it's like, it's not inconceivable that everything is a simulation, but it's like, like, so the idea that you walk out of the room, you cease to exist, right? You come back into the room, you exist. (laughs) Everyone else is just NPCs, you know, it's like it's not too hard an idea to wrap your head around. I don't know, sorry, that was a bit of a tangent.
1: (laughs) No, I I think I, I get what you're saying. And I've thought about this too. And this is what like Elon Musk talks about. He's like the idea that if we're not a simulation, we're the first, there's two terrifying ideas, one, no one else has existed who could create a simulation so lifelike that this feels real. This is the world we live in, which means that humanity will inevitably erase itself before we achieve that point. Or more likely, if, if we get to a point where we can create a artificial world that seems real to the people inside of it, then like we should just be one of those simulations Yeah, and, yeah, wow. So the idea is, like, if we're not
0: living in a simulation, we're doomed to die. Humanity's doomed to extinguish itself before we get there. Whereas if we are a simulation, humanity in some way has found a way to perpetuate its existence. Right. Whereas if we haven't achieved that, we're going to stop the reign of this existence. Yeah. At some point to think we haven't achieved it yet.
1: No. And to think that we're first is like, I can understand where people say that's like narcissistic to think that humanity on this planet in particular at this time, like, you know, millions of years before everything else or like millions of years after the universe has already been around. And now like, you know, there's billions of years that'll go on after us. And it's like, does humanity become a multi-planetary species or did we just erase ourselves because we're all monkeys with nuclear
0: bombs, <laughs> you know? <laughs> I guess we'll have to answer that question on the next episode because we're at an hour and 38 minutes.
1: Okay. I'm, I'm good with closing there.
0: Yeah. Well, with the universe hanging in the balance. That's where we're leaving this. Yeah, we're gonna have to re-listen to all of this to refresh for the next episode, that's yeah. fine. <laughs> I would say we should continue, but I low key want to throw on some band of brothers and cease to exist for a bit. So
1: Yeah. And all these people who are listening, if they're listening, we're
0: gonna check out and maybe we'll never check back in. Yeah, honestly. With the uh track record we've had, it's been a couple months since I posted anything. I do have a couple in the can that I could probably post in season one, but this is going to be season two, episode one, based on the fact that Alvin is not here. Um, Possibly a new chapter for that's tough, but I do want to take a quick second. I did look at our statistics. We had 102 downloads on the last episode that we posted. So I do want to say... Thank you all for listening. I can't believe that you actually listen, but I have to say I'm so glad that you do. And also the intent of this podcast is to kind of replicate what it would be like if you were just hanging out with a group of friends, talking shit and drinking some beers. Um, And the intent is that, you know, if you're ever low, you can throw on uh, the podcast and feel like you're in a room full of friends. So You know what? It's it's, it's a pretty specific niche we're going for, but I hope to God that this helps some of you uh, not feel so lonely. And I don't know that this conversation is going to make anyone feel like the main character, but uh, (laughs) maybe that's okay. That's yeah. Maybe that's okay. Maybe that's all you can do. And that's good enough. Just keep existing. Keep doing your thing. If you wake up in the morning, get out of bed and literally breathe. That's an achievement that a lot of people in the past probably couldn't claim so yeah it's the mundane
1: yeah. the mundane in life is actually what i think what i've spent the most time granted i'm pretty young still but it's like just the idea of like being home with yeah. your parents when you were younger and like hearing your dad close the office door and he's off he's done with work for the day yeah it's like those little things are what Filled my life with meaning
0: at a time. Yeah. Well, and fuck, we're going on a rabbit trail here. Maybe. Yeah, hold on. Should we just put a pin in this? Trying to get a soft landing here. of the mundane. Come back next week, maybe. I have no idea. (laughs) For an episode talking about the wonder and magic of the mundane. Mm. Mm. So Mm. much to look forward to. That and simulation, world annihilation, and the mundane. You know where to go. Light topics. Yeah, honestly, <laughs> this used to be kind of semi-comedic. Once, uh, once... yes, <laughs> I
1: feel like I, uh, I brought in a different energy for sure than.
0: Yeah, this is a little too fucking uh, theoretical and uh, philosophical. We need to it's bring in uh, frequency mustard shit. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, all above the belt.
1: How many times you jerk off a week? Uh, like, one once a day okay when, well uh, those girlfriends, are rookie numbers you when need to the the pump them gone, shit's up
0: you know <laughs> <laughs> yeah true alright alright let cut it yeah it's over honestly yeah fuck out of here <laughs>
1: by contributions to your PBS station from viewers like you.